This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, it's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on considerate condolences, handling subpar service, notes on dating notes, and a Christmas card question. Yes, in August. (laughs) For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, our question of the week is about bridesmaids being able to prioritize studies but still participate. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript interview with author Stephen Petro about his new book, Stupid Things I Won't Do When I Get Old. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey, cuz. Good afternoon. We have a rainy, muggy one today, but we're going we're gonna to do this podcast. It's going to feel great. <laughs> Absolutely. Earlier today, before we, we hopped on the mic, I did an interview with a writer for, I think, Money Magazine, and... She was doing an article on uh, money sending apps, so things like Venmo, PayPal, you know, that you can you can kind of use and post easily and that people really are using so much today. I know a lot of people pay their babysitters, sometimes even for services like hair appointments and stuff like that. Like, I feel like specifically the word Venmo, but all of these types of apps and um, and services are everywhere right now. And yeah. yeah, and one of the things that she was specifically asking about, she's seen a trend of people asking for birthday gifts through it. So I'm not talking about kids here, but like adults. Uh, and and I, I believe she was referring to, to people more in their 20s. Like people would post to their social media, like on their birthday, like, hey, if you want to get me something, Venmo me at. And, the, you know, they would something like that or they'd list whatever service it was. And it was just so surprising. So when it came to the etiquette of it, of course, we were talking about things like, well, you know, adults, birthdays and gifts. It's a little different from when you were a kid. And it's it's definitely it's not. not ex- yeah, exactly. It's like it's not expected. So you really shouldn't be just putting a post out there for it from an etiquette perspective. But it did get me thinking once again about these types of services and how we choose to use them when we choose to use them and and, and sort of why this is our best idea. You know what I mean? Or maybe not our best idea, but the thing we think of to do. And yeah. it it got me realizing I don't use one of these services currently in my life. I've been told by a lot of people that that means I'm way out of touch with reality. But I am really curious from our audience's perspective, when they think we're using these services really well and when we're starting to cross lines. So when are you feeling ick about them? And when are you feeling like, oh, yay, hooray, you know, and because we do, there's going to be a lot of etiquette, I think, that comes up in the future about these things. We've on the show, we've talked about stuff like people using them for weddings. Uh, We've talked about people doing the thing where they like write in soap on the back of the car, like, you know, just got married, Mm -hmm. Venmo us here. I saw one two weekends ago that was we're driving from coast to coast, help us get there. And it had an account. And so we know that people have put out notices when they are having a hard time, can't meet a bill or something like that. We know that people have requested, hey, can I get your Venmo so I can send you money this way? Um, mm-hmm. There's just so many different things, <laughs> I feel uh, like. Well, and, and the one that I, I feel like we encounter the most frequently or the first place I personally encountered Venmo specifically and also one of the first places I heard about it. Mm-hmm through etiquette was splitting a bill mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at the end of a meal. And 
I was so intrigued. This was relatively early on and thinking of myself back then as a, if not cutting edge, a leading edge type <laughs> technology person. I got kind of excited about the possibility of direct money transfer, electronic. Obviously, people have been exchanging money for a long time, Yep. but this becomes a, a new medium, so there's going to be new expectations and new courtesies. I tried to share some uh, money with my brother, and he told me that he doesn't link anything Yep. that he has to um, – To anything. That has to do with finances. Yep. <laughs> that he does no web portals for – so – my first try, I got shut down so hard. It wasn't even a possibility that was <laughs> something that would even be considered that I kind of backed off it. And, yeah. and now I find myself a little bit like you, you know, almost whatever, five, six, seven years later, where the adoption has really become much more broad and the questions are much more broad and I'm not as personally familiar. I've had some people say that to get around what you just experienced, they actually keep money that is theirs, they know they could figure out a way to get it out eventually, but that mostly it's their Venmo savings account. And the idea is that like the first time someone owes you money, you have them send it to you and everything, but you just leave it there in your Venmo account and it just stays there. And when you owe someone, you now you've got 50 bucks in that account maybe. And so you owe somebody 25 and you shoot it out of there. And then, so you try to kind of balance it on this in intake, you know, always have your intake be a little more than your, your what's outgoing, but that you use the service that way. And it's sequestered. It's its own discrete pool. I know a lot of people who set up a, an, a specific bank account and they only keep, you know, a couple hundred dollars in there so that that's that's like if someone did get access to it and drain it, that's the only one. And that that was recommended to me by like a, a financial advisor person. And so that that might be the route that I go if I decide to bite the bull. But I got I got shamed by my sister when I paid for one of her prescriptions at the store and it turned out to be way more expensive than we thought. She's just like, oh, it's just going to be five bucks. It was not just five bucks. And she goes, well, let me Venmo it to you. And I was like, I don't have Venmo. And I mean, I got, I, I definitely got shamed. You got the other side of the sibling spectrum. <laughs> yeah. Dude, what are you thinking? Get with the times. Lizzie, come on. <laughs> like, it was <laughs> great. I'll trade you. Yeah, no, exactly right. I think for you with kids, it's probably like way more useful. But, um, but I've we've heard so much about it. I'm I'm really curious about folks who use it a lot. Um, what are the things that you're finding really useful, convenient, and polite about the exchanges you're having on it? And what are the things where you're starting to to butt up against consideration, respect, and honesty, and feel like those values aren't being upheld in your interactions? So we're gonna tap the awesome etiquette audience research group for this one? Yes, we are. We are indeed. So please send your thoughts, your problems, your questions, your successes, all of it uh, to us at any of the normal channels that you hear throughout the show. We are so excited to hear what you guys think about money sending services. Well, Lizzie Post, that's a question for our audience, but our audience has some questions for us. They do. Shall we get to it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story, long or short. 
it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled Condolence Considerations. Hello, my brother died in late May, which gave rise to a few etiquette questions. Here is one of them about cards. The family did not specify flowers or donations, and I asked my niece, who said they wanted people to choose their own option. So I donated to an animal shelter as my brother adored dogs and he and his wife rescued many over the years. The shelter asked for an email, but I was unsure if my sister-in-law would be checking emails at this time. Is it okay to also mention the donation and the amount in the card I take to the funeral home since I am unsure that the email notice won't arrive or go to spam or something? Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you for the question. We're sorry to hear about your loss yeah. and really appreciate the way that you're thinking about this. The family leaving you the option of flowers or a donation leaves that decision entirely in your hands. And I, I like the way you really thought about what might matter to your brother and that you chose something that really felt connected to him. I think that's a... Yeah a nice way to approach something like that. And as far as letting the family know, I think that you're showing similar care and consideration, thinking about the best way to do that. I think that the condolence note is a perfectly appropriate place to do that. Many places that you make donations will give an option for you to send a notice or yeah. that allow them to thank the person <laughs> whose name it was donated in. That's really important to those organizations. This is one of those situations where I don't think it hurts at all for them to hear it twice, yeah. for them to hear it from the organization and to also hear it from you. Those are two very appropriate places to be hearing about something like that. And it doesn't feel to me like it crosses over that line of being self-congratulatory or right. um, overemphasizing the donation in relation to the event, the the passing of your brother. I completely agree. And I think it would be really easy to slip into a note, you know, like once you've addressed the issue of the person's passing, in this case, your brother, your niece's father, you know, and you, you make some of the lovely comments about how you'll be remembering him or how you're feeling or how much you know that he was loved by his family, that sort of thing. So once you've gone through all those parts of the notes, you might say something like, I know that once you all were grown up, he and your mother's pups became their babies. And so I have donated X amount, you know, to the local humane society in his honor or whatever the wherever the donation is to. And then close out your letter as you normally would something like I'm wishing you and your family so much comfort and support at this time. Love, aunt, obviously not aunt anonymous. Lizzie, that sounds very natural to me. Anonymous, thank you for this question. We hope that our answer helps and that you're able to continue to support your family at this difficult time. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Our next question is titled Services Subpar. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I just started to get back into listening to the show and was inspired to write in. I find myself in a slightly awkward situation with regards to an online service I have purchased. I paid for access to an online course a couple of months ago, and due to the nature of what I was looking for support with, purchased the premium version, which included access to the course as well as personalized support from the person themselves for six months. They made it clear that they were currently on maternity leave, so wouldn't be able to offer the regular video call follow-ups during these six months, as they normally would, but stated that they would carry out these follow-ups via email and voice messages. Over the past two months, I have updated this person on my progress via comments on the shared Google Doc that she created for this purpose, as well as sending questions via email on an ad hoc basis. I'm finding that I'm not fully satisfied with the responses I'm getting from her, with comments on the Google Doc being ignored, having to follow up on every question I ask via email to get a response, and no voice messages to speak of. I appreciate that she is on maternity leave, so I really don't want to hassle her at what is definitely a busy and overwhelming time. However, she did sell this product with the promise of an adapted, personalized service, taking into account her maternity leave, so I can't help but feel a little shortchanged. Do you have any suggestions of how I could approach this with her, if at all? I'm not looking for any kind of refund but I'm almost at the halfway point of the six-month package, and I don't want another three months to go by where I feel like I haven't got my money's worth or learned as much as I could have from this service. Equally, if you think it would be inappropriate to address this given her personal circumstances, then I'm happy to just let this one go. Any advice would be much appreciated. Thank you, Confused Customer. Dan, I feel like confused customer is um, is a engaging a service that sounds very similar to some of the ones that we offer. I know I know they're not engaged with us right now because I know who we're teaching, but it's it's interesting to hear. Um, we've had moments in our life where you know whether it's the the book writing or it's a, a paternity leave or something else that comes up where we're we're not able a to pandemic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like there's times where we've had to make adjustments, like it seems like the service provider is. And I know that we've always, A, really wanted to treat those adjustments fairly, you know, really wanted to make sure that someone is getting out of us what we promise. Um, and it can, it can feel so tough when you're not meeting that. And I appreciate kind of hearing the customer perspective on what it can be like when the expectation of what you were supposed to have provided isn't being met. Yeah. But I also really appreciate hearing confused customers balancing of the the frustration uh, with the reality that this person who's engaging the services is a new mother and the many, many challenges and adjustments and, and surprises that can even come up in a baby's first couple of months of life are just th- like they are uh, true. They are. I don't know if you call them realisms. <laughs> they are <laughs> they are they are realities that you have to deal with and, and that you come up against. And her plan clearly hasn't been as successful and, and supported you in the ways that she probably intended it to. And I think that that is worth talking about with her at some point. And it's hard to say that because clearly if they're struggling to get the emails and the that's out, they probably, you know, hearing the bummer of, boy, this really isn't going that well for me. Is there something we can do? Is It's a tough thing to hear. You know, it can feel like you're bringing a problem to what is probably already a difficult time in her life. But at the same time, it's not going well. And People usually do want their customers to be really satisfied, especially for something like a premium service package, that type of thing. And I know, Dan, that I, I would want people to talk to us about it. And so my my ding, ding, ding. Yeah, my guess is that we can help you find the right language to maybe talk about it or, or at least sample language to do it, but that you are going to want to broach this with with the person or that it would be a good idea to. I was thinking very similar thoughts, Lizzie Post, mm-hmm. and you're you're so right. For me, this hits particularly close mm-hmm. to home. I, I know I've been on the failing end of this. We do a lot oh, of personalized gosh. service for people, and it's not always possible, even when you're at your best, to mm-hmm. meet every expectation. And when you're not at your best, I think it's a reality that oftentimes you know when you're not hitting the mark mm-hmm. or or performing at the level that you'd want. And whether you're aware of that or not, I landed in exactly the same place you did, which was I would want to know and I'd want to know how someone else was feeling about it. And 
I would particularly want to know if they were feeling about it the way our question asker is, where they're also very understanding and accepting and probably very willing to figure out a path forward that would make everyone feel much better. Mm -hmm. And if you can introduce those two things together, it goes from being a problem that's a nasty little problem to a problem that has the potential to really put the whole relationship on on good footing and how you yeah. navigate those difficult or awkward moments it's the oldest cliche in business but they're often some of the best opportunities to really do what you want to be doing and get closer to the people that you want to be closer to so i'm curious you had said the briefest of sample scripts where you said something that's like it's a bummer but i want to work it out and i was yeah. thinking those are the two things i want to communicate how i'm feeling but also that i'm i'm very much looking forward and looking forward without blame but with some curiosity about how it can be better in the future i was thinking of something along the lines of having an email that starts out praising what you do like about the course and and thanking the person who's created it for having done so and and you know working with you on it and then I think you have to switch into the your feeling, right? So we're using a little bit of Dan's – is this the compliment sandwich or the – the Praise, concern, suggest framework? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Praise, concern, suggestion is probably what we're going to go with here. So you've done the praise part and, and you really let them know honestly what you're grateful for, what you think has been excellent. And then you're going to drop your while or I am however. Um, and I, I would probably end up saying something like, I am however unfortunately feeling like I'm not getting the full experience at this time. You could continue with that while I truly appreciate your efforts to email and to respond when possible to the comments in the shared Google Doc, I'm not feeling like this is quite the level of communication that was presented or that we had discussed, maybe that we had discussed is a little softer language when I booked the course. Then you've got to go into the suggestion, right? You stated the problem. I don't feel like I'm getting the level of communication I need. You might even stay the, say that, you know, at the halfway point, the three month point, I felt like this was a good point to touch in and let you know that this is how I'm experiencing it. And then you could suggest something like, you know, I'd like to ask that we either find time together once your schedule is able to accommodate it, or I don't know if it's a thing that you can stop taking, you know, if it's or I might have to decide to not continue on with the rest of the program. As you mentioned, you're not looking for a refund, so you don't have to make that statement if you were you might make a suggestion of or if there's a possibility to do some kind of a refund based on how much I've I've taken so far. You know, each program is different. Each thing is different. Only the person kind of dealing with the situation is going to know whether they want to go there or not. But I would also then make a suggestion that you're open to hearing her suggestions on what might work and giving her that space to offer something else or welcoming a different offer that you haven't thought of into the mix. And then I would go back to praise. So we might add a fourth layer to the sandwich where I would let them know if you really have appreciated everything so far, I would double down on that and say, I really am so thrilled with so much of this. And I really want to get the full experience that I can out of it. I think that's a nice, encouraging way to close if you really do want to be moving on with the person and continuing the program. I tell you, Lizzie Pose, that grand finale there would make me feel a lot better. It would make <laughs> me feel very encouraged. To, to, to reach back out and figure out how to pick this up again in the best possible way. If it was at all possible, you never know. New baby could be all kinds of things, but it, it could also be something quite simple. Like I'm getting ready to dip my toe back into the work world in a more committed way. Mm -hmm. And this is the kind of reminder that's going to get me there. Totally. Confused customer, we hope this helps. Good for you for taking on new experiences and lessons and engaging in programs. We're certainly fans of folks who take those plunges. And we really, really hope that you get what you're looking for out of this experience in this program because it's, it sounds like it could be really great. Did you ever notice how some people treat others? We like people who are polite. We should always try to be thoughtful. When we talk on the telephone, we should be kind and considerate. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Our next question is titled Notes on Notes. And Dan, this next one, I feel like I get bragging rights. It came to Dear Lizzie Post. <laughs> I, I win! I win! <laughs> or it could just be because it's on dating and they know you're married. But all right. I love your show and consider myself a disciple. It's not that I'm so great in practice, but I am 100% for the standards of respect, consideration, and honesty. I use Match.com regularly, and sometimes I get lovely complimentary notes from women, and I know that I don't want to meet them. Usually, it's because they live too far away, or we have no common interests, etc., that sort of thing. I actually do not want a reply to one of my notes if the person has no interest, because the very fact they replied gives me a little bit of false hope. I understand that outside the online dating world, notes require a response. Do I need to respond to these notes? Should I? Best wishes, Anonymous M. Anonymous M, thank you for the question. And you're going to get a little prize for one of the funniest openings to a question we've heard in a long time. <laughs> I, 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 too, am committed to the principles of consideration, respect, and honesty, and am much better in my mind than I am in practice, despite my 100% commitment in my mind. I would have to say ditto, just so you know, ditto. <laughs> like The self-awareness in that and the good humor in it, I think, is a great place to start with any etiquette discussion. I think puts you in, in, in really good standing to ask a tricky question about norms for online dating. And the dating world is so complicated and so subtle in many of its expectations and sort of subcultures and and personal it's so personal <laughs> and, and, and yes it's connected to the heart so it matters a great oh, deal no, i didn't people. mean connected to the heart personal i meant like it's so personal like everyone has their own different feelings about how like some people write stuff off as no big deal whereas other people those kinds of things are deal breakers or really big breaches of dating etiquette. You know, it's like it's personalized in terms of we all kind of think a little differently about how it should go, even though there are some big overarching ideas, you know? Yeah. So in some ways, when I read this question, I'm I'm, I'm drawing parallels in my mind to traditional etiquette or expectations that come from the past, as we so often mm -hmm. do at Emily Post. And I was thinking about places where people would meet and mingle and get to know each other where there was some uh, allowance for single people to try to figure each other out and there are there are a lot of subtle cues that when you're in person you can give to each other that function to say yes i might be interested or mm -hmm. no i'm really not and those cues mm -hmm. could be as subtle as, as as good eye contact and how long you maintain it or don't <laughs> and I'm I'm trying to think about a, a version of that that's the online version. Is this a little bit like that eye contact early encounter that says, yes, I'm I'm willing to meet you, or this is just so early on that I can excuse myself by just looking away, and that becomes the signal that we're not gonna I don't want to say waste each other's time, but pursue this in a way where it's not likely to go anywhere. So in other words, is is not responding to a direct message or a message or or a, I don't know what they call that, you know, likes or things like that on on a dating site, just the exact same as as not giving someone lingering, come over here and get to know me kind of uh, eye stare, right? Uh, that's exactly what I'm wondering. And I'm, I'm, I'm putting it in. I, you... I, just so you know, I love the way you've described that. And I want to put it in that category just because I know for a lot of people, the sheer volume that they deal with on dating yeah. sites means that if they were giving everyone that they were not interested in a reply back that said, thanks for trying, but no, obviously not quite that harsh, but it it would become a bit overwhelming or off-putting for dealing with the site. And I, I don't know, cause I, I was in the, in the zone of, <laughs> I think it's okay to just ignore the notes from people that you're not going to choose to engage with. And that that's a it's I think it's a reality. I mean, I, I know the very brief time I ever spend on any dating site that you kind of put your line out there if you're interested in talking to someone. And if they don't write back, they don't write back. 
Like it's it's kind of the signal. But I'd be really curious again what our audience thinks of this, what they experience if they'd rather get a no than just get silence. If the silence means that maybe in three months you'd be of interest, like you know what I mean? Like does the silence keep the door open or shut the door? I don't know. So I I, I want to draw my analogy out just a little bit because I was thinking okay. about a couple of the questions you asked, and okay. I don't know if my instincts are going to be good here or not. I. I'm quite thankful I've been out of the dating world for a few years now, but I also enjoyed it. I had some fun. Um, you did. You had a good dating life. You obviously don't have to walk into a club and tell every person there you're not interested that you're not interested. And <laughs> yeah, that's in some ways, there's an etiquette parallel that says – you know, when you don't invite someone to your wedding, you don't call them up to explain all the reasons that you didn't. Well, you're actually – I don't feel quite as close to you as I do to those other cousins who I spent more time with. It's Or how about even just a plain, hi, I just wanted to call and tell you you're not invited to my wedding. Like, that's it. Like, no, like <laughs> – Exactly. So, so, so some allowance for, as you say, that, that, that initial encounter to be – to be a very light touch that doesn't necessarily require a reply or isn't given expecting a reply, I think is a very reasonable thing. When yeah. when you replied to me, you, were, you said direct message. And I was wondering if a direct message is different than a note, whether there's I, something I know. Yeah. that within the platform is sort of a tiered or hierarchy of how direct the communication is. And it got me to mm -hmm. think about the advice that we give that when you break up with someone, that in many ways that breakup, you're expected to invest in it with some sense of proportionality to how the relationship has been invested in. Mm -hmm. So we often say if the relationship was a primarily over the phone relationship, you could probably break up over the phone. That if you've mm -hmm. had enough in-person encounters, if it's been a longer relationship, that telling someone in person shows some respect and shows some care for them. Even if the relationship is ending, it shows some respect and care for the relationship that you had together. And if you've spent more time texting than in person or on the phone, do you think it, text it might is okay? Be, it might be that if, yeah, if totally. it's been a texting flirtation that you can end yeah. it as a texting yeah. flirtation with a text. And I would pay attention to that in terms of making the choices on a platform to platform basis. I would ask myself, mm -hmm. has there been an exchange? Has there been a back and forth that I have to acknowledge is ending? Or is this really about being in a space, getting a feel for where the interest is? And I'm, I'm not necessarily required to respond to, to every expression of interest that people show. I like that idea of also like using the the platform itself as a guidance for, for where you're at with that. That's smart. Very smart cousin for someone who hasn't used these systems. Anonymous M, we certainly hope that our answer helps and that you find someone really fantastic on your next date. And so George's first plunge into the social swim comes to a successful end. It wasn't too difficult. All it required was a little courage and following a few simple rules of etiquette. Rules which are based on just one thing, consideration for the feelings of others. Our next question, arriving in late August, is titled, Christmas Cometh Early. I know it's only July, but I'm already thinking about Christmas cards. We're getting married on December 18th, so we will be married by Christmas, but not before the cards need to be mailed. Should we include any mention of our marriage in the card? For example, a very married Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> How Sorry. should we sign the cards? <laughs> Thank you. A confused fiancé. That's cute. That is a laugh-worthy pun, isn't it's it? It's a cute pun. A very married Christmas. Aw. Um, congratulations. Well, soon to be congratulations, I guess. But this is one where I really want to give my advice with all the intentions that I believe you will be married by that Christmas. But it's such a dicey one, cuz. Because, like, one of the reasons that sort of etiquette has always said things like, uh, don't start decorating with monograms or using your wedding gifts is for just in case something does happen and the marriage doesn't take place. I, and again, I do not want like this is knock on wood. This is I don't want to strike fear in anyone's heart, but it's almost like it is coming from just the utmost caution. And I think another big shame would be that if, if something tragic or awful did happen and then these cards were already in the mail 
and this wedding hasn't taken place. And so I just, I, there's, I, I don't know, maybe I'm a wet blanket because you can t- talk me out of it if I am, if I am, but I would feel nervous about doing it. Instead, I would do a normal card and then I would have an absolute blast sending out my wedding announcements right around or right after the Christmas holiday and using the very adorable pun, you know, and it might adjust it to be like, we had a very married Christmas indeed this year or something like that. You know what I mean? But I would go all out on my announcements and really have fun with the pun with the time of year with all of that. Like, I just I think that'd be really cute. Because I don't think we have ever gotten quite so legalistic about not <laughs> counting your chickens before they hatch. I know. And I feel terrible doing it. I really, really do. But you can see the conundrum, right? It's no, like you're a good New Englander. You you asked if I ever had feelings like this, and they aren't quite so practical. I'm not sitting there saying to myself, oh, I, I, if I mail this out and then something happens, then this would no longer be representing the situation correctly. It's, it's much more... Uh, sort of superstitious New Englander that never wants to assume (laughs) anything good is going to happen and that you potentially set yourself up testing the fates if you... If you count your chickens before they hatch. That was definitely a deep dive into my psyche. (laughs) Yes, and and, and I, I sort of call it legalistic because in some ways you could say, well, we could time it so the cards arrived and we actually were married when they arrived with a wedding scheduled for december 18th Mm -hmm. you you could also just simply let your christmas cards be late and send them after the eight like send them on the 19th and just let them be the card that shows up a couple weeks after i mean that's that is a possibility and then you know that the wedding has happened you don't tempt that fate and you you get the cards out still i don't know that could be a A, a very practical solution to (laughs) I guess the practical problem that I was getting to, which is that it's it's that moment of signing that yes. is that is important when you when you sign your name at the bottom of the document, you take responsibility and sort of right up there with not counting my chickens before they hatch is the sanctity of contracts. And <laughs> I, I guess thinking about that 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 holiday note as a contract is. <laughs> investing it with something that it might not fully deserve but that's the those are the specifics that we're talking about here so i i I definitely am aware of that signing moment as being a part of this this equation as we think about it a confused fiance thank you for allowing us to do a an unnecessarily deep dive onto the idea of when to send your christmas card this year we really hope that whichever avenue you take that you have a fabulous wedding and a wonderful wonderful holiday season this year thank you for your questions please send us your updates or your feedback on our answers to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND that's 802-858-5463 you can also reach us on social media on twitter we are at emilypostinst on instagram we are at emilypostinstitute and on facebook we're awesome etiquette just use the hashtag awesome etiquette with any social media post so that we know you want your question on the show If you love Awesome Etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment, where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we have feedback from LR, who writes in about episode 359 and the estranged niece who our listener was still sending gifts to. LR writes, I was nearly in tears listening to the bonus question for episode 359 about the birthday gifts. I am estranged from one of my sisters and never wanted to entirely close the door. So I continued to send holiday and birthday greetings until she told me that she considered these intrusive. I stated that I hoped we could one day reconcile, but her response made it clear that this may never happen on this side of the grave. It's a very hard place to be, but I am choosing to respect her wishes. 
Every year, as her birthday approaches, I feel sad all over again, but honor her in my heart. Signed, keeping in touch while keeping my distance. Stay safe. LR, thank you so much for that feedback. It's it is it's tough to hear. I can hear how hard it is for you to execute each each year on your sister's birthday, but it is it's one of those things where that respectful and considerate and thing to do really is to respect their wishes. I do hope at some point in the future you and your sister are able to reconcile. You never know. Thank you for the feedback. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we are going to hear an interview from Dan with author and fellow etiquette expert Stephen Petro about his new book, Stupid Things I Won't Do When I Get Old. Lizzie Post, it was so much fun to talk with Stephen Petro about his latest book. Oh, I bet. The relationship that the Emily Post Institute has had with Stephen goes back to Peggy Post, who comes up in the interview that I did with Stephen. And rather than talk too much about it, I think I'm going to let Stephen speak for himself. Shall we get to the interview? <laughs> Let's get to the interview. Here is a sample of it, and then we will post the entire interview over on our Patreon page. Stephen Petro, welcome back to Awesome Etiquette. It is so good to have you here. Well, Daniel, it is my pleasure to see you again. You're looking well. You're sounding well. <laughs> Thank you so much, and I will return the compliment. Um, I, I feel like I've gotten to know you very well. I've been reading your new book, and I'm really excited that you're here to talk about it with us. Um, I, I was going to do some sort of introduction of you, but then I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to ask Stephen to, to introduce himself to our podcast audience because you know yourself better than I do, and I'm, I'm, I'm really curious how you're, um, how you're presenting the book, but don't be shy. Tell us a little bit about what's going on with you right now. Gosh, Daniel, that's that's hard. Um, but I'm so glad not to hear my like usual introduction again. So, so thank you for that. I am here. I'm talking to you because I've written this new book about getting older, and it's a memoir and it's a manifesto. It's got um, a little bit of a title that's in your face: "Stupid Things I Won't Do When I Get Old." But what I'm best known for is writing about civility, aging, and, um, you know, and, and manners. So that's, that's how our lives have intersected over, you know, over the years. And um, one of the points of this book is that it dawned on me that it, it remains acceptable to make fun of older people in this society. Um, one of my um, interview subjects said, you know, it's one of the last isms that's that's OK, you know, and I, you know, I brought some show and tell, but I got this birthday card last month and there, um, there are two cows on it for, for those who can't see it. You know, did you know that as you get older, your hearing and eyesight begin to fail? And then inside is like the tiniest little print. So what do you think of your musical birthday card, you know, alluding to the fact that I can't, I can't read that, nor can I hear that. And, ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. And, um, you know, these are so many of the ways what's called, it's called everyday ageism, but it's basically everyday rudeness and, um, and sort of a lack of sensitivity to you know, people who, who are over 50 and we have all these stereotypes, you know, I'm 64, you know. We can't hear. We can't use technology. We tell the same stories over and over, and um, uh, those are largely myths. But they're 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 problematic. Well, and I, I'm sure, like so many cliches, they get they become cliches because we repeat them so many times, and yet they get repeated so many times because there's probably little granules of truth in there somewhere. But then that how matters, how that gets expressed, how that becomes something that we all acknowledge is really important. And it was the first little etiquette thought that popped into my mind as you were talking about the risks of humor. We talk about it's not up to someone else to get your joke and how that perspective affects how humor is received is, is a, a theme that pops up on the show. It was something I was going to ask you about. 
writing yeah. funny about a topic that is so serious for so many people. And, and it's not just getting old. You, you, you really talk about some, some really serious topics in this book. So the book actually goes from lighter to darker, I would say. And the, the, first, the first section is stupid things I won't do today, then tomorrow, and then at the end. And the end is sort of you know, when we're coming to death and dying. But you're right. I do use humor throughout because there are challenging topics. And I'm talking about, I am talking about illness. I am talking about getting older, disability, death, as well as, you know, coloring your hair, um, not double spacing when um, you're typing. And there, there are reasons for all of this. But, you know, by and large, these are topics that are hard for us to talk about in our culture. So I did use, you know, the divisive humor and a lot of personal revelation and um, discussion about my family and my, my parents in particular. And it's been gratifying because readers have been telling me this has helped them approach these topics and um, open new conversations with, with their loved ones, which is ultimately the point of this book. At the risk of me tooing this interview, I want to share reading your very personal sort of reflections and, and, and thoughts about your parents, your relationship with your parents. It couldn't help but draw some of those thoughts up in my own mind also. It was sort of a surprisingly, um, for, for a book that, that I had approached as being humorous, I found it surprisingly affecting the, the way it drew me into thinking about the significance of the personal relationships in my life and realistically the timeframes that are associated with those relationships. And that's, that's really deep stuff. Thank you. And, um, you know, it reminds me, I mean, here's a small example. So my mother had um, lung cancer and she was terminal at a certain point. And I remember there were a couple of times when she asked me, what would dying be like? This is my true response, but it's, you know, it's also what's in the book. Well, well, mom, what do you want for dinner tonight? You know, so I was trying to make a quip. I was trying not to deal with the substance of what she'd asked me, which was weighty. And the third time she asked me that, I knew I was beyond, you know, dinner preparation. And I joined the conversation. She led me to walk through that, that door with her. And we had one of the most meaningful conversations of, of our lives. And I was able to give her some information, was able to assuage some of her concerns, but it brought us closer. And um, you know, that's another part of what the book is about. But that's also why we care about what we do, Daniel. You know, we're trying to forge connections between people we care about. It's the ideally the substance of what we do at Emily Post. I love thinking of etiquette as being about relationships and how we support and foster relationships that matter to us in ways that we would want to. And it's a theme for Lizzie and I at Emily Post that people often turn to advice experts and consultants at times where things matter the most. And oftentimes those are transitional moments in life. We know that people turn to Emily Post or etiquette and civility experts at times like weddings or a birth, but we also know that it's around death, that many people are instantly thrown into situations where the stakes are, are elevated, where things matter, and where it's not our usual world and our usual life. And there are different expectations and different things to, to think about and keep in mind. And I want to get more, more focused, particularly about the end of the book that you were talking about. But before we get into to that, mm -hmm. cause I, that's where I saw some real where I just said to myself, boy, this is going to be useful for me as someone writing about this material to really focus on some important things. But I, I, I'm interested in that broader facilitation of relationships and the, the first sort of two sections of the book where you look at some of the peculiarities of getting older and sort of reflect on your relationship to those things sort of before you encountered them, going through them and thinking about your, your, your parents sort of on the other, other side of a lot of them also. Well, I hope what I'm going to say here answers your question because I'm, this is what this is what came to mind. Part of what I learned from this book after I was done, and I have to admit it was after I was done, that what I was trying to do was to facilitate conversations between generations, among family members, and that required listening, that required having an open heart, and not being judgmental. And, um, and also sort of trying to avoid or um, move away from some of our fears. And so I've seen sort of after the fact how that has really worked to bring people together. 
But the really the insight I had was, you know, in this world that we live now, that there's so much polarization, it's almost as though this, this little model of how we talk about aging and illness and, and, and death is a model for, you know, how we can talk about what's happening today. And it's really the same things. Um, you know, we have red and blue and this and that, but if we can be more open, if we can be more vulnerable, if we can speak from our hearts, we will be speaking person to person. And um, I think that's, yeah, I was just kind of um, stunned that I kind of backed into that and learned that from the people I was talking to. It's remarkable. It's, it's nice to just hear someone say it. it I mean, and it's, it sounds commonsensical that the things that connect us fundamentally are going to be useful for connecting us in, in all kinds of ways. The, the human experience is so unique, so particular, and there are certain aspects to it that, that, that we share, that we share with everyone that are realities of our biology. And, um, those things, those things are, 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 are so important. And when they rise up in our personal lives, they instantly become the most important things. And, and I think there's a prioritization that, that comes into relief and, and it, with that contrast, that's, mm-hmm. there's a lot to learn from. And I know that this, the process of writing this book took a long time because you talk about it in the, in the book itself. It's something we talk a lot about on this show. It was a, a question I queued up. I meant to ask you right at the start, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to it now. Okay. Sh- share a little bit about the process. Um, and, and you're already doing that, talking about sort of what you learned, how you, how you approached it from the beginning to the end. But I, I, am I remembering that it took almost 10 years to write this book? Well, in, in a way it did. So um, the way the book started, and it was not, I did not have a book in mind. Uh, my parents were in their 70s. I was um, a little bit north of 50. And um, I began to notice things that they were doing that I thought were, in, in the vernacular of the book, stupid, but I wasn't using that word then. I thought um, they were harming themselves, and I was, I was worried, and I wanted to do better. So I started keeping this list, and this list went on and on. And in, in that way, I was sort of, sort of the smart aleck um, eldest son who was going to do better than his parents. And that list got to about 100 items. And then I wrote a column for the New York Times. And what surprised me was it was on the most read list for about two weeks. And people started sending me their own lists. And I got about 200 lists from people who were doing the exact same thing. I call them, I call us, you know, the snitch spies. Which is like older siblings, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there were no middle or or younger siblings in there. I don't know where you are in your lineup. So it seemed to be a vein that these generations were, were trying to learn from, from our parents and also trying to, to help our parents. And so that's how it sort of was born into a book. And so overall, it did take about 10 years. You know, the writing itself was probably about a year and a half. And the lockdown last year, you know, ironically turned out to be um, very useful to me because I stayed at my desk and you know, was largely um, writing all the time. I want to tell a, a, a little story, but I promise it'll come back around, right? So I'm a big sports fan, and I don't know if you're aware, but it was a, uh, a, a tragedy in my personal life that Tom Brady left the New England Patriots and went down to Florida, started playing for Tampa Bay, and won a Super Bowl in his first year down there. And the owner of that team was talking as he was receiving the Lombardi Trophy, and he was saying, you know, uh, my father used to tell me something. So this is a, an owner of an NFL franchise. And he says, he always said, if you wanted to know where you're going, find someone who's been down that road or find someone who's been there. And um, I don't know why that particular moment stuck in my mind, but I found myself craving discussions with people that were older than me. And um, as I get older and older, mid forties now, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm finding that, that desire is coming to me stronger and stronger. I'm appreciating this conversation, appreciating the insights you brought in your book, and I'm appreciating the encouragement to have conversations and to look up the food chain or up the elder hierarchy and to invest in those conversations in ways that are really serious. And who, who knows what might emerge following that advice? I did come around and let me let me say, let me give you a quip before I kind of talk a little bit of substance. But wasn't it Emily Post who said, don't talk about politics, religion, or Tom Brady? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> you know, I, you know, Tom Brady, he is the, like, the most controversial, uh, or among the most controversial. But, um, you know, to the other point that you're making, and I, and I talk about this in the book, and it's, it's really the importance of having friendships that cross generational lines. 
And, um, you know, in the way that we live in various silos by our, by our identities, we also do by our generational labels. You know, they're baby boomers, they're millennials, they're Gen X, Y, and Zers. And sometimes we're sparring with each other. The whole, whole okay boomer thing from the millennials was part of that. And um, you know, I learned that there's also a concept called perennials. And you can be 25, you can be mid-40s, you can be 60s and be a perennial. And a perennial is someone who just remains um, sort of evergreen, um, enthusiastic, curious, and wanting to learn. And so um, I talk about some examples in the book. It's a personal goal of mine to stay um, a perennial and to connect with other perennials. I think I asked you in an early email exchange setting up this interview, I said, you know, I'm, I'm still of an age where I look forward to getting older because I feel like I did uh, invest me with more cultural authority, more respect, things that I crave, uh, confessional moment. And then I sort of asked, tried to be funny, you know, does that mean I'm, I'm young or something like that? And uh, I really appreciate this idea of the perennial, this idea that, that uh, you don't need to... Um, fall into a certain category that's determined by the year that you were born. Right. And that we have, you know, we learn from our elders, we learn from our youngers, uh, so to speak. And, um, and that's really important in sort of keeping an open mind and having new perspectives and also respecting each other and getting to know people, you know, for who they are. Something I learned recently um, about neuroplasticity. Apparently, a lot of the studies that showed that young brains were the, the the best at learning didn't take into full account the full capacities of adults. That there's a, a lot more neuroplasticity than sort of early research that was popularized seemed to indicate. Yeah, and I do I do talk in the book, and one of the things I won't do, one of the stupid things, is I won't stay in my ruts. I will try to you know change things up. And an example that I talk about is for years I would walk my Jack Russell Terrier the exact same route every day. I could, be, I could have been blindfolded. And so I decided to go the opposite way one day. I saw different people. My neighborhood looked different. Different sides of the trees, just changing the direction. <laughs> the, the puppy marked all new places, but it, it was very, you know, it was a small change, but it really um, opened my mind in a different way. So there are all kinds of ways that we can um, you know, change things up and um, experience things new without having to go someplace far or, um, you know, or go deep into a book or a TV show. It's, it's sort of right here. I also want to be sure that we focus our discussion just a little bit on something that happened for me at the end of the book. In the what I think of as the third section, you do a series of things that are really about um, preparing for death. And the etiquette writer in me couldn't help but notice the chapter heads were essentially addressing some of the most asked etiquette questions about end of life. How do I organize a funeral? How do I write an obituary? The, the really practical things. And you were giving advice or suggesting that, that people who are anticipating their death or aware that it is coming, think about participating in some of these things. And it was such moving advice. Uh, I found some of it very practical and one particular piece of advice very moving. I was flagging it in my head as this is a series of medical articles about sort of the most practical considerations that you're likely to confront and some ideas for how to do it. And the idea of, of participating in that yourself was something I wanted to ask you about. You know, to go back and quote Emily Post again, if you don't mind, um, one of the things that she said, I'm paraphrasing, is that etiquette is about consideration of others. Mm-hmm. And so when, when we're getting to, you know, wherever we are in that end of life part, you know, most of us are in denial. I remember my dad once, once said, and he was a journalism professor and, and a writer, and he said, you know, if I die, and he was about 80 then, I said, <laughs> you've taught me a lot about the subjunctive when to use it, and this really would be when I die, you know, and when I die and, and, you know, and when you die, Daniel, whatever that is and whatever late stage that is. So it's difficult for us to approach many of these topics. And I do. And the point being, if you can own them some, if you can start to get rid of the stuff in your house, if you can pass along your wishes for services and so on, you are helping those who love you. And, um, you know, one of the things that you know, irked me in my own family was my parents always would say to all three of us, we don't want to be a burden to you. 
And then they would make choices that frankly were burdensome to us. <laughs> Not that we didn't love them, but um, there was a little bit of a discongruence. So that, that is a lot of um, you know, what's in that last section. And you, know, you referred to one part that was moving. I'm guessing that it was the letters from um, the mom who had brain cancer, who in the weeks before she died, she wrote three letters to each of her four children to be opened at different points in their lives. And I thought, you know, Jackie Zinn was a great friend of mine. And I thought, what an amazing amount of love and consideration to marshal your strength and your heart and your fingers, because she was largely paralyzed at that point too, to um, to write those letters. And um, Jerry Zinn, one of the sons, um, allowed me to reproduce um, a couple of his letters. As a parent of young children, I couldn't help but sort of reflect on, you know, what would be the, the essential messages? What would I want to tell my kids? And, and what would I want to leave behind for them to hear maybe in 15 years or in 20, 30, 40 years even, d- depending on sort of how you approach that process? And it was inspiring. It was inspiring to think about. Well, thank you. You know, and I tried to use some humor in that section too. And, you know, and for the chapter about, you know, some people want to write their obituaries. And some of the people I talked to said, you know, I don't trust anyone in my family you know, to know proper grammar, you know, to when to use the serial comma. So I want to own it for that reason. Or I want to tell my own narrative and I don't want someone else to be, you know, writing, writing my narrative. So you know, those are some of the funnier ways to get into the, this serious topic. Well, we, we talk about core principles on the show a lot, the, the values that are meant to be expressed in the actions that we think of as manners or etiquette and um, consideration, respect, and honesty are our guiding principles. So you, you've already very specifically brought consideration to the discussion. And here's where I would uh, loop back to sincerity or honesty. <laughs> we all want to tell our own stories. And yet where the truth lies in that story is probably also something that uh, is a matter of perspective just a little bit. That and there can be multiple truths, I believe. The art of obituary writing, you talk about the serial comma, there was old coded light. I mean, the New York Times obituaries in particular were, I mean, you, you needed a translation service to understand exactly what they were saying with the, the economy that was invested in those that, that short word count that was available to you. But that, that short and that expensive word count and um, and also how it's less prevalent now, but how the nature of one's illness is, has often been camouflaged for you know, all sorts of reasons. Yeah. You know, and if we're talking about honesty, that's something to consider. Boy, we, we, we could have you back to talk about the blurring of the public and the private. I know that's been a topic of yours sort of previously, something you've thought a lot about mm-hmm. in, in terms of online security and, and, and all kinds of very contemporary issues about how the public and private are, are requiring more management from us as individuals than they ever have. That's a generational thing that's kind of accelerating and, you know, in a direction where there's often very little um, distinction between the two. And with this book, I am finding that myself because I've been very open about myself and my family. And I'm like, where is my zone of privacy? Those are those are such tricky questions. I I I, um, I really appreciate the generosity of spirit that comes with with sharing so much of yourself. It's uh, it's not easy. Stephen, I thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. And I'm just going to tease our audience and say that you have joined us in the past to answer etiquette questions. And I'm really looking forward to getting you back sometime in the future to join Lizzie and I for for that earlier part of the show. And we can uh, apply some of your insight to some of our listener questions as well. Well, I, I would love that. I know we've done that before. And um, you know, it's fun and it's always interesting to see you know, shades of, of black, white, and gray come out. Absolutely. We've got a fresh batch for you whenever you're ready. Okay. <laughs> and say hi to Lizzie for me. Will do, Stephen. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Dan, thank you so much for bringing us that interview. It's definitely not always the easiest subject matter, but it is so nice to find both the the humor and the the practical moments within the topic of aging and death and uh, illness. And I really, really appreciated getting to hear you and Stephen talk about it. Thank you so much, Lizzie Post. I hope that our audience enjoys it as well. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Kristen. 
Dear Dan and Lizzie, I would first like to start off my etiquette salute by saying how much I love your show. I'm relatively new to your podcast, but decided to binge listen to it in chronological order, starting from episode one. I find it such a treat to listen to on my 30 minute drive to and from work every day. My etiquette salute goes out to my wonderful new neighbors. My husband and I just recently moved into our first home after eight plus years of apartment life. We decided to buy our home in a part of town that we felt would be best for building community as apartment life can be quite isolating, and we wish to know and trust our neighbors, especially since we were looking to start a family in the next few years. That being said, we had no idea just how courteous and caring our new neighbors would be. We were visited on and off over the first two weeks while we were painting and getting things ready for the big move by not one, not two, but seven of our new neighbors, all of whom brought us wonderful gifts such as pies, cookies, cakes, flowers, etc. Now, being an awesome etiquette listener that I am, I promptly sat down to write thank you notes to each of these lovely families to let them know how grateful I was for their extremely thoughtful gestures. But the generosity did not stop there. One day, while I was checking my mail, one of the neighbors that had previously visited us stopped by and invited us to a block party at the house of another neighbor who we had not yet met. At first, I was so nervous to go. Firstly, because I wanted so badly to leave a good first impression and become close with all my neighbors. And secondly, because I was planning to attend a party that I had been invited to by someone other than the host. My husband and I tried to prepare ourselves as much as possible by getting a hostess gift and not arriving too early or too late. But it did not stop me from being a nervous bowl of jello on our walk up the street to the party. Our nerves went away immediately upon entry as the hostess greeted us by name with a huge smile on her face and a warm hug. We were immediately made to feel at home and introduced to all of our neighbors. The evening was so lovely. In fact, we talked about it for days and decided to write yet another thank you note to the courteous and accommodating hostess. It was so nice to see that the lady who had invited us had been sure to notify the hostess and to go as far as to share our names so that we could be greeted properly and with open arms. We are so grateful to our entire community for welcoming us to our new neighborhood and making us feel as if we immediately fit in. So with that, I give many thanks to my Coleridge neighbors. Much love, Kristen from North Carolina. Oh, that's so good. That's like all the neighbor etiquette in one one great salute. <laughs> Lizzie Post, your squeal at the end of that salute was the way I was feeling pretty much throughout the whole thing. <laughs> right? Like, you just keep saying, yes, 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 it's Like, oh, yes. this is good. Oh, I know oh, that some bowl of jello there. feeling. Oh, some good <laughs> etiquette there. That was such a great salute, Kristen. Thank you so much for writing in and with such detail. And we are so glad that you are loving your new home. I second that. <laughs> and thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something and who supports us on Patreon. Please do connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share podcasts. You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, by phone, leave us a message, or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member you can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette, where you will also find the unedited full version of the interview that we conducted with Stephen Petro. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review that helps our show ranking, which helps more people find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. And Bridget.